0: Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Sunday, January 14th. Today we're discussing how science and storytelling are being used to create the next generation of conservationists and how science centers are receiving a significant boost to promote STEM education. Plus, we'll delve into how boosting microbiome science worldwide could save millions of children's lives and the role of data sonification in improving earth science communication and accessibility. This coverage and more Up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. In Goa, India, two 13-year-old students, Serenella Fernandes and Caden D'Souza, have been inspired to dive into biodiversity conservation. This comes after their participation in a workshop by scientist Snigda Sagal. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this?
1: Absolutely, Diego. The workshop titled Science and Storytelling in Nature's Lab was a transformative experience for these young students. They conducted scientific experiments with plant pigments, went on a nature walk, and participated in a storytelling session centered around different types of leaves. This experience not only made them more observant of nature's beauty, but also gave them a sense of direction in terms of their career interests.
0: It's interesting to see how hands-on experiences can spark such interest. What's the larger context of this workshop?
1: The workshop is part of the month-long Greener Side campaign, an initiative by Echoes of Earth, India's greenest festival. The campaign aims to raise awareness about the importance of conserving Goa's rich biodiversity, particularly in the context of the Western ghats. This is especially crucial given that human activity is driving the ongoing sixth mass extinction, according to the World Wildlife Fund. Segal's workshop is designed to foster a scientific and conservationist mindset among young children, which is increasingly important in this context.
0: So it's about equipping the younger generation to tackle the environmental challenges we face. What's the response been like?
1: The response has been very positive. Both Fernandes and de Souza expressed their excitement to learn more about the natural world and their desire to become conservationists. In fact, de Souza said that the workshop sharpened his observation skills and inspired him to involve himself in the conservation of Goa's biodiversity. Arcanja Fernandes, a faculty member who accompanied the students, also highlighted the importance of such practical and observational learning experiences.
0: It's encouraging to see such enthusiasm from young students And speaking of enthusiasm for education, North Carolina has awarded $2.4 million to 53 science centers across the state through its Science Museum's grant program. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this initiative and what it means for the state?
1: Absolutely, Diego. This is the sixth year of the grant program, and it's designed to enhance science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education opportunities, particularly in low-resource communities. The State Department of Natural and Cultural Resources Secretary, D. Reed Wilson, has emphasized the importance of science museums and educational centers in sparking curiosity and cultivating the next generation of innovators and problem solvers.
0: So how will these funds be used?
1: The awards, which range from $14,804 to $75,000, will be applied to the 2023-2024 fiscal year budgets of these science centers. The funds will likely be used to enhance exhibits, provide educational programming, and support the overall mission of these institutions. For instance, in Beaufort County, the Aurora Fossil Museum Foundation and North Carolina Estuarium in Washington were each awarded $60,000. Meanwhile, the Roanoke-Cashie River Center in Bertie County received the maximum award of $75,000.
0: It's interesting to note that North Carolina has more science museums than any other state. How does this grant program support the state's unique position?
1: Indeed, Diego. Darrell Stover, head of the North Carolina Science Museum's grant program at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences, highlighted that the funding supports these museums as they advance science education. The state's commitment to STEM education and its investment in these institutions are key factors in maintaining this unique position. The grant program also plans another round of awards for the next fiscal year, further demonstrating its ongoing commitment to science education.
0: That's a promising initiative for the future of STEM education in North Carolina. And speaking of future initiatives, there's a fascinating area of study that needs attention. The human microbiome, the collection of bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live on and in our bodies. However, it seems there's a significant gap in the data. Over 70% of published human microbiome data comes from European and North American populations, which make up less than 15% of the global population. Charlotte, can you shed some light on this disparity?
1: Certainly, Diego. This discrepancy is concerning because the gut microbiota of individuals can differ significantly depending on where they live. Therefore, the development of effective microbiome-based therapeutics for those in poorer regions depends on data collected from these areas. Unfortunately, less attention is given to how the microbiota affects conditions such as malnutrition and infectious diseases that disproportionately affect people living in low- and middle-income countries.
0: So we're seeing a geographical bias in the data. How does this impact the development of therapeutics?
1: The impact is significant. For instance, the gut microbiome could offer leads for therapeutics for some of the biggest public health threats in low- and middle-income countries, like undernutrition, which is associated with nearly half of all deaths of children under five. But because of the genetic and phenotypic diversity of people's microbiomes, findings made in Europe and North America will not necessarily apply to other regions. Treatments developed in wealthy countries might not help people in poorer countries who could benefit from them the most.
0: That's a sobering thought. What can be done to address this issue?
1: There are several steps that can be taken. First, establishing regional centers of excellence dedicated to microbiome research in low- and middle-income countries could enable long-term sampling of the microbial ecology in a population. Second, researchers in these countries need to establish curated microbial culture collections, particularly from children. Lastly, fostering robust networks between better-resourced academic laboratories in Europe and North America and researchers in low- and middle-income countries is crucial. These collaborations should span decades and should be aimed at training scientists from these countries to become leaders in microbiome research in their own regions.
0: It sounds like a concerted global effort is required to ensure that the benefits of microbiome research reach all corners of the globe. And speaking of global reach, in the realm of science communication, a new method is gaining traction, sonification. This technique uses non-speech audio to convey complex data patterns potentially overcoming visual and language barriers. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this intriguing approach?
1: Absolutely, Diego. Sonification is a fascinating concept. It's the process of translating data into sound, which can help us interpret multi-dimensional earth and environmental data streams. This could potentially reveal previously unrecognized patterns and feedbacks in large complex data sets. Sonification can be particularly useful in making science more accessible to those with visual impairments or language barriers.
0: That's fascinating. So how exactly does this process work? Can you give us an example?
1: Sure, let's take the example of a study on kimberlite eruptions over the past 240 million years. In this case, each eruption is represented by a note with the pitch of the note corresponding to the reconstructed latitude of the eruption. Higher latitudes are associated with higher pitches, The longitude is reflected in the stereo position of the sound. The fragmentation rate of the tectonic plates is represented by sustained minor and major sounds, with darker minor sounds indicating plate merging and brighter major sounds indicating plate breakup. The volume of crumbling rock sounds varies with the fragmentation rate, intensifying when the rate is high. This sonification was created by system sounds.
0: That's quite a novel way to interpret data and it seems like sonification could really open up new avenues for science communication and accessibility. All right, that wraps up our stories for today, and we look forward to bringing you more insights on Current Radio tomorrow.